welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen, amen, and amen. Welcome again to Epiphany Fellowship Church. We are excited uh, to have you uh, with us, to worship with us, and to lift up the name of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and so uh, if you have your Bibles with you, as we prepare to open up the Word of God and hear from the Lord from His Word, why don't you turn with me to uh, the book of 1 Samuel, the fifth chapter. 1 Samuel, chapter 5. It'll also be on your screen there. Uh, but that's where we'll be spending our time this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 5, we're going to read the whole chapter. So why don't you read along with me as I read this morning. Here's the word of the Lord. After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod and brought it to the temple of Dagon and placed it next to his statue. And when the people of Ashdod got up early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen with his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And so they took Dagon and returned him to his place. But when they got up early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen with his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. This time, Dagon's head and both of his hands were broken off and lying on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso remained. That is why still today the priests of Dagon and everyone who enters the temple of Dagon and Ashdod do not step on Dagon's threshold. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod and he terrified the people of Ashdod and its territory and afflicted them with tumors. And when the people of Ashdod saw what was happening, they said, the ark of Israel's God must not stay here with us because his hand is strongly against us and our God, Dagon. And so they called all the Philistine rulers together and asked, what should we do with the ark of Israel's God? The ark of Israel's God should be moved to Gath, they replied. And so they moved the ark of Israel's God. And after they had moved it, the Lord's hand was against the city of Gath, causing a great panic. And he afflicted the people of the city from the youngest to the oldest with an outbreak of tumors. And the people of Gath then sent the ark of God to Ekron. But when it got there, the Ekronites cried out, they've moved the ark of Israel's God to us to kill us and our people. And the Ekronites called all the Philistine rulers together and they said, send the ark of Israel's God away. Let it return to its place so it won't kill us and our people for the fear of death pervaded the city. God's hand was oppressing them. And those who did not die were afflicted with tumors and the outcry of the city went up to heaven. If I can tag our text for this morning, I simply would say this, just because you've been defeated doesn't mean God has. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we exalt your name and lift your name high this morning because honor, power, and glory are due your name. You are awesome, you are great, and greatly to be praised. And so God, we make much of you this morning, 
because your name is worthy to be adored. And I pray, oh God, as we enter into your word, as we take a look at this passage, at this narrative of scripture, that we see how big you are. We see how great you are. We see how awesome you are. And we see how, uh, 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 how much we should esteem your great name. And so, Father, I pray, oh Lord, that as we enter into your word, our view of you would widen. Our thoughts of you would grow larger and we might leave your presence today being changed in our minds about how great and awesome you are. May the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, be glorified today. May your people be edified today. In his matchless name we pray. Amen and amen. Just because you've been defeated doesn't mean God has. You know, I, I, I like sermons like this uh, because in, in, a lot, in a lot of ways, uh, a sermon like this just gives me an opportunity to just brag on how great God is. Uh, I, I know a lot of times uh, we, 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 we talk about God in relation to our circumstances and in, in relation to what we're going through in our lives, about God being a, a helper, about God being uh, the one who, who gives us peace, about God being a provider. And while all those things are true, uh, we, we need to understand that God is not those things just because of what he does for us. God is love. God is gracious. God is kind and merciful. God is holy all because he already is those things, not because of how he relates to us. And so this morning, I, I, I want to I I have some sort of or, or, or what I would call a clarifying uh, sermon because I, I want us to understand that as we talk about what it means when we say that God is undefeated, when we think about uh, 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 the title of a series like this called Undefeated, I, I don't want us to misunderstand what we mean when we say that God is undefeated because if we mean that God is undefeated just in relation to our personal circumstances, then we have too narrow of a view of God because God is, is bigger than that. When we talk about the, the character of God, when, when we talk about the, the personhood of God, we have to reconcile our defeats. We have to reconcile that our defeats, that our defeats are not a blemish on God's record. Some of y'all might be looking at me today and say, well, well, pastor, I've been I've been going through some difficult times. What happens uh, when, when, when I believe God is going to come through and he doesn't come through? What, what happens when I put my hope and my faith and my trust in God and my prayers don't get answered? I, I would say that that is uh, sometimes what happens to us in this life. But I would also say that, that it is not an indicating factor about changing anything about who God is. And if you want some, if you want some help, then, 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 then I, I, I know I have to come with proof because I, I know you're not just going to trust my word uh, uh, for it. And, and, and I don't just expect you to just trust my word. I, I want you to trust God's word. I want you to trust the word that has uh, no errors and does not change. I, I want you to trust the word of God when, when, when he tells you that, that there, is, there is no one that can overcome him, that there's none who can stay his hand. And, and Isaiah the prophet, he says, he says, the Lord of armies himself has planned it. Therefore, who can stand in his way? It is his hand that is outstretched. So who can turn it back? The psalmist says, the Lord 
Lord foils the plans of the nations and he thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever and the purposes of his heart through all generations. Down in Second Chronicles chapter 20, it says that the Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? For you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you. That's what Gamaliel, who was a, a Pharisee, said in the presence of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the council of other Pharisees in Acts chapter 4. He said, leave these men alone and let them go for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, guess what? It's going to fail. But if it is from God, you won't be able to stop it. I, I say all that to say that there are times in this life, people of God. There are times on this earth, people of God, where you'll experience pain and you'll experience hardship and you'll experience physical ailment and you'll experience financial ruin and grief of loss. But I'm here to tell you that that is not an indicator of God's character. For our God, El Shaddai, he's, he's never lost a battle. And so sometimes we have to reconcile. We have to reconcile in, in, in our heart. What do I think of God? What does my circumstance say of God? How do I fight through the difficulty of what I'm experiencing in this life so that I can see God for who he truly is? And so I love passages like this because passages like this ain't about us. It's, 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 it's not about us. It's all about God. And, and, and the, the beautiful thing about all scripture, it, it says that uh, Jesus, Jesus says uh, to, to, on the Emmaus road to the two disciples, he says, he, says the, he, it took, he took them through the, the law of the prophets and, and writers and showed them everywhere uh, where the scriptures talked about him, saying that, that all scripture talks about Jesus. But I know sometimes in our uh, practical uh, preaching and teaching, we, we apply it to life, which is what we're supposed to do. But, but a passage like this, I, 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 want you to, I want you to see and I want you to know and I want you to feel. This is a, this is a God passage. This is about what, what, who God is and, and what, God do, what God does, even when you've been defeated personally. Now, I, now I know we, we're, we're right, jumping right into the middle of a narrative when we come to chapter five here. And so we, we have to understand the context of what is happening by the time that the ark of the God of Israel ends up in Ashdod. Uh, uh, which is in Philistine territory. And so if you go back to chapter four, you would know uh, that, that the Israelites and the Philistines had been at war with one another constantly. They were arch nemesis, so to speak. And so they often fought against one another. And so they, in this particular battle that they are fighting, chapter four starts off with the Israelites going to war and, and camping against the Philistines. And they go to battle and they lose. And they lose 4,000 men. And they're, 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 they're shocked and they're concerned to say, man, how how is it that we lost this battle to the Philistines? And they said, you know what? We didn't have the Ark of God. So let's march on back to Shiloh, grab the Ark and bring it to war with us. Because when we bring the Ark of God, the presence of God, uh, you know, there because we read that, that nothing can stay his hand. When God is with us, who can be against us? Right. That's what we say to ourselves often. And so we we quote those verses to ourselves as if to say that we can't experience any defeat. And so they went and got the, the Ark of God and brought it to battle with them. And when they entered the camp of the Philistines, guess what happened? I, I, what what happened? 
happen what well, uh, is what you would normally assume it what would happen. They bring in the ark of God and the soldiers standing around begin to see the ark of God carried in among them. And they begin to ring out shouts. Uh, yeah, let's go like 300 like whoo, like they, they, they ready for a battle. And, 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 and the Bible says that the cry uh, of celebration uh, was so great when the ark of the covenant came into the camp that it shook the ground. And the Philistines heard the cries of celebration. Uh, it was almost like they had they had already assumed that they had won just because God was there. And, and, and so uh, and so uh, they 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 celebrate and, and the Philistines, they say they say, oh, man, we haven't experienced anything like this before. The, these are the gods who destroyed the Egyptians who can save us. And so they say, man, listen. We, we're outnumbered and outmanned at this point because we can't compete with the God uh, of Israel who destroyed the Egyptians. So y'all better get ready to fight because if y'all don't man up and fight, then guess what? We're going to end up being their slaves. And so they went to war with Israel and defeated them. The Bible says that they killed 30,000 of the Israelites that day. It was an overwhelming slaughter. And the Israelites, the few who survived, ran back each man to his own tent. And then the Ark of the Covenant being left there was captured and brought to Ashdod. That's where we find ourselves in verse 1 of chapter 5. That the Philistines captured the Ark and brought it to Ashdod. Brings me to my first of two points this morning. Hear me when I say this. Everything. And when I say everything, I mean absolutely everything. Everything bows down in reverence to the glory of God. Look with me at the text. It says, says after the Philistines had captured the ark of God, uh, they, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod and they brought it into the temple of Dagon and placed it next to his statue. They placed it next to his statue. Notice the words. Words are important in, cons- in, 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 in narratives like this. Don't just skim over the words. What did they do when they brought in the ark of God, of the God of Israel, and brought it into Dagon's temple? I, would, I want to hear you say it. Where did they place it? Next to his statue. Where did they place it? Next to his statue. Now keep reading with me. It says, it says, when the people of Ashdod got up early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen with his face to the ground. Where? Before. Where did they place it? Next to. Where was Dagon fallen down on his face? Before the ark of the Lord. This, 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 this is interesting because by, by the time we get to this narrative, uh, the, the narrator is, has changed his viewpoint because at, at one time up until this point uh, uh, in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, the, the narrator has been chronicling what's taking place in Israel among the Israelites. And in chapter 5, his viewpoint changes from the Israelite side to the Philistine side. And, and so we know that, that, that uh, the ark uh, goes from uh, it, it goes from Ebenezer, where the Israelites were encamped, being, to be now being brought into the uh, the Philistine stronghold of Ashdod. Ashdod was one of the five major cities of the Philistines. Three of which, three of those cities, are mentioned in this text. 
It's going to be interesting as we walk through this test, as, as, as we see what God does in Ashdod, and we see what God does in Gath, and as we see what God does in, in Ekron, that, that we will notice that three of the five cities, uh, the, the three of the five major cities in Philistine or Philistine or, are, are mentioned in this text. Right. But Ashdod was one of the chief cities. It was a it was a place of robust trading and it was it was a center for uh, a textile industry. And so so this was a city uh, where, where a lot of things were happening, where the market was bustling. And so this was not just uh, some run of the mill backwater city. This this was this was a place where where things got done, where you wanted to be. And, and, and it's interesting as the Philistines capture the ark and bring it to Ashdod and place it in the temple of Dagon, you have to understand culturally that by this point, the Philistines think that their victory indicates, their victory over the Israelites indicates that their God, Dagon, is superior to the God of Israel. Now, now I, I that, that wouldn't have been uh, like in, in like they, that, that would have been normative. It would have been normative to assume that because you had conquered a particular people group, that you had conquered their God. That, that was customary in uh, this period of time where there was a strong link, there was a connection between your victory and your failure and how it was tied to the God that you worshiped. And so, so oftentimes, uh, when you conquered a people, they would then take your God and capture it and bring it to their God's temple and your God would spend the rest of its days serving their God because their God had now shown themselves to be superior and your God was inferior. The only miscalculation that the Philistines made was that the God of Israel is actually God. See, they thought that they were dealing with some old regular little lowercase God, some, some handcrafted, hand-shaped, gold-laden, silver-plated creation of the human hand and mind. They were unaware of the fact that the God of Israel was the God who does all the creating, the God who has all power in his hand, the God who has all things under control. But look, look at the, look, 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 look what's happening. It says they took the ark and they brought the ark and they placed the ark next to the statue. See, as we, as we look at the connection between those, those action verbs, the, the, the emphasis is on the last verb, placed. It says in this way, the Israelite Yahweh was supposed to come under control of Dagon the God of those who had just conquered. And so they, 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 this was a symbolic action of Yahweh being placed into Dagon's temple, which was supposed to reflect his inferior, inferiority. He's supposed to serve Dagon. And, 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 and because the Philistine soldiers prevailed in battle, it means that Dagon prevailed over Yahweh. And, and, and so it, it's only fitting customarily then that they would place the ark where they placed it. And so, um, so that being the case then, how is it that 
Dagon, the God of this temple, Dagon, the God of this house, who's supposed to be superior, ends up bowed down, not next to the ark, but bowed down, face on the ground, in the, the position of humility and servitude before the ark. Dagon, by the time that the people wake up, the people who were victorious, the people had won in battle, says by the time that they wake up and, 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 and go back to the temple, they find that Dagon is in a posture of reverence and submission before the ark of the Lord. His face is literally on the ground. Now, now this, this is interesting because Dagon is not really a god. He can't get up and walk on his own. He can't turn his own body. He can't lay himself prostrate on the ground before anybody. But yet somehow this inanimate object found himself worshiping the living God. I don't think, did, did you get that? This, this, is a, this is a creation of the human hand. A creation of the human mind. It can't speak on its own. It can't listen on its own. It can't talk on its own. It can't walk on its own. It can do nothing on its own, but yet somehow it finds itself in a position of uh, worship before God. Man, y'all better know. It, 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 man, listen, y'all think it's a game. Jesus done already told y'all, if you don't open up your mouth and say something, I'm going to let these rocks cry out. Rocks that ain't got no lips, rocks that ain't got no esophagus, rocks that ain't got no tongue, rocks that can't perform words. And yet he says, if you withhold worship from me, I'm going to make something that shouldn't speak, speak. He said everything, everything worships the majesty of God. And so, so here, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh just flexing at this point. Like he's just, he's, he's flexing at this point because he's, he's saying, listen, you got it twisted thinking that you're going to bring me in here and I'm going to serve your little puny God. I, I, I want to show off for you just in case you, you, you're mistaken, which you are. I, I'm going to show off for you that, that even your God that you created serves me and worships me. So, so the writer here, the narrator, he, he, gives, a, he gives a subtle suggestion of the futility of the Philistines' idolatrous practices. He says, because, because look what he says in verse three. It says that, that they took Dagon and they put him back in his place. He said, 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 their God had fallen and couldn't get up and they had to help their God off the floor to put him back in his throne. Man, I, I, li listen, listen, right. I, I, man, yo, yo, you, you, you might not have caught that. But anyway, it's, 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 a, it's their, their God, this God who was so masculine and, and had so much bravado and was such a warrior to win on the battlefield, didn't even have enough strength to lift his face off of the ground before Yahweh. But, but note, notice, notice something else here that, 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 um, that, that the author does, that the narrator does, that, that, that I love about this, because he's, he's, he's throwing little subtleties in the text. He's, he's throwing in little jabs 
in the text. And he's given us little evidences of perspective in the text because in verse one, uh, when, when, it, when it starts off, notice how he categorizes uh, the ark. He says that the Philistines had captured the ark of God. But by the time we get to verse three, he says that Dagon had fallen on his face before the ark of the Lord. He goes from saying that it's the ark of Elohim, just the deity, to the ark of the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. And so here, here it's clear that he's, he's hinting at what the real issue is. You see, the real issue is not between Israel and the Philistines. The issue is between Israel's God and the gods of the Philistines. If it was between Israel and the Philistines, then, then if, 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 if how great God was, was attached to Israel's defeat, then we could say that God had been defeated. But God here is saying, like, even when my people experience defeat, that, listen, I'm not my people. My people worship me. My people serve me. I got my people's back. But for whatever reason, in those moments of life, when they experience defeat and hardship and loss and difficulty, guess what? I'm still God. I'm still holy. I'm still loving. I'm still the God who provides. He said, that's, that's, that's who I am. My character does not change. That's why the Hebrew boys, before they're thrown into the fiery furnace, they can say, listen, listen, I, I know that God can save us, but if he chooses not to, he's still God. Because they, they knew something that many of us are still wrestling with. It's that God's character doesn't change because of the desperation of our circumstances. That God is who he is, and he doesn't change. And then, then, then it, says that it, says, it says, after they put him back in his place, they got up early the next morning, and, and can't you believe the same thing happened again? He had fallen with his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And so not, not, not like two days back to back, he had fallen uh, on his face before the Lord. I, I'm, I, I bet you God was up there laughing like, let, just, just so y'all don't think that this was an accident, that somebody accidentally uh, tripped over a Dagon and, and knocked his statue over. Just so you know that this is the, the God of heaven that is against you and against him, I'm going to knock him down again into a position of worship but I'm not just going to knock him down I'm going to let you know that he's been completely destroyed because when you come back in to pick him up all that's going to be there is his torso because I'm gonna cut off his hands and cut off his head to let you know how overwhelmingly uh uh uh, 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 uh how overwhelmingly awesome I am when it comes to destroying this idol see see cutting off a, a foe's hands or cutting off his head, his head indicated complete destruction. And, and, and so you would, you know, you, if you cut off a, uh, the head of your adversary, you would normally uh, uh, use it as a stake uh, to display the evidence 
of your superiority over them and you would use their hands as evidence to show how many casualties as proof to how many casualties of war you had conquered. And so God begins to use this symbolically in a way that the Israel uh, that the uh, the Philistines would be familiar with to say, like, just so you know, there, there's no competition between me and Dagon. We ain't the same. You might have carried this ark into his temple, but even his temple is my temple. And so, so he, he, he takes off his head and takes off his hand. And, 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 and that's not the only time we see this idea of the hand uh, uh, being utilized, because not only does he take off Dagon's hand, but we see later in the text when God goes from Ashdod to Gath to Ekron, we see the hand of the Lord against the Philistines. I also like this idea of when it says that Dagon has fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. That, that phrase, before the ark of the Lord, is very similar, has almost the same uh, meaning as before the Lord that we see in chapter 1, verse 12, where Hannah is praying earnestly before the Lord to let you know that 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 Dagon is taking a position and a posture of worship before the living God. Because everything will bow down in reverence to God. That brings me to my, 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 my next point, my last point for, for us this morning. Uh, as we get to verse 6, listen, the presence of God, absent Peace with God produces the wrath of God. I'll, I'll say it again just in case you, you, you missed it. The, the presence of God, absent peace with God, produces the wrath of God. Look, look, look at this. It says that the Lord, after, after this happened, that the Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod. And he terrified the people of Ashdod and its surrounding territory and afflicted them with tumors. And we see in, in some translations that uh, when it says tumors, that, that, that there were also possibly mice uh, overrunning the land that were carrying the disease, that possibly carrying the disease that caused uh, these tumors. And so the, the tumors where, you know, many, many theologians are, uh, are not sure whether or not these tumors are these, sorry, these tumors are uh, 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 representative of the bubonic plague, uh, but more, more likely is some sort of hemorrhoidal like condition uh, 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 that, 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 uh, that, uh, has serious effects, causes serious issues uh, from your bowel area and produces death. And so the, uh, the Bible says that the, the Lord's heavy was hand, hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod, the surrounding territory, and it afflicted them. And when the people saw uh, what was happening, they, 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 they had some sense, at least enough to know, that when they began to experience what you could consider plagues, similar to those that happened in Egypt, it, it says that at some point in time, they, they, they began to understand, man, this is, this is the God of Israel that's doing this stuff. Like, like, like they, they didn't just ascribe what was happening to them to anybody. They said, man, this, this is the God of Israel that is at work here, we have to, we got to do something about this. And, and, and it's, 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 it's something about, it says something about personal suffering 
uh, where it's, it's easy to blame God for personal suffering. And, and, and it's funny that they here blame their suffering on the God of, of Yahweh and not on Dagon, or not on their own behavior, or not on their idolatry, not on their faithlessness and their worship of false gods, but they say, man, man, the, 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 this, this plague is affecting us because of God. Yes, it is because of God, but, but it's because of a reason, right? But, but, but uh, uh, um, they know that this is God behind this disaster that is affecting them. And so, and, and so they, they, they say, they say, man, uh, the ark of Israel's God must not stay here with us because his hand, look, look at it, his hand is strong against us and our God, Dagon. After all that they've seen and all that they've been through, Dagon is still our God. They took the ark of the Lord and put it in Dagon's temple. And on multiple days, Dagon showed up in the morning, face down, flat on the ground, uh, in a humble, worshipful position before the ark of the Lord, eventually with his hand as his head cut off, and yet they are still willing to accept that Dagon is their God. And Yahweh is still Israel's God. That even when faced with the superiority of God, we still have a tendency to hold on to the gods that we've created. Listen, whatever their, whatever their, their, their reason uh, 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 was, they, they held on to Dagon as their God. And they said, man, we got to get this ark out of here. So they call the rulers from the other five cities and, uh, and, and they bring them in and they said, man, what can we do with this ark? What, where can we send this ark? And so they, they, they come up with the idea that they're going to now send the ark to one of the other cities called Gath. And they send the ark of the Lord to Gath. And guess what happens? The same thing that happened in Ashdod begins to happen in Gath. And the Bible says that when the ark arrives in Gath, the Lord's hand was against the city of Gath, causing a great panic. That means that, 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 that the Lord continued to increase his judgments against the Philistines in this city, breaking forth onslaughts against them that were both emotionally and physically uh, 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 um, um, draining for the people. Not only was there an, uh, like the, the emotional desperation of the great panic of, man, the ark of the Lord is here. People are dying. Why did y'all bring it here? What's happening? Am I going to be the one that dies? Am I going to be the one that gets the tumor to actually physically dying? Um, this city was a wreck because God's presence now was among them and he was judging them. And, 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 and then they, they, they say, well, man, we got we to gotta get this ark out of here. It can't stay here. It can't stay with us. And, 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 so, and so they say, man, let's, let's send it to Ekron. They gather the, 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 the people again together, and they, they said, man, let's, let's send it to Ekron. And, and then the Bible says, before it even gets there, uh, as the ark is traveling, see, the, the, God's reputation in the ark had already preceded him to Ekron. And so the people begin to cry out, man, listen, they trying to bring the ark here. They trying to kill us and all our people. Like, man, this, this ain't, this ain't going to work. Like, why would they do that? Like, just because Ashdod got, uh, got destroyed, just because Gath is getting uh, destroyed, why do we got to get beat up too? 
And so, of course, the, the ark gets there and, and it creates even more stress and more, uh, and, and, and more fear because the Bible even says that, that upon its arrival in Ekron, guess what was happening through the city? There was a fear of death making its way through the city. And so from Ashdod to Gath to Ekron, we see the same results. We see the God of heaven with no army, just himself, going from Ashdod to Gath to Ekron, causing havoc and destroying his enemies. Can, can, you, can you picture this? The ark of the Lord, when we began in verse 1, it says that it was captured. How is the thing that was captured now taking victory laps throughout the cities of the Philistines. Because that's essentially what God is doing, if you can see it. God is taking a victory lap. He, he, said, he said, you think that I lost because you defeated those people. He said, but you hadn't dealt with me yet. And so they thought that they had captured God. And God said, man, all you're doing is carrying me around on the victory lap from city to city. And so he goes from Ashdod and he lays his hand against the city and against their God. And, 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 and they experience the plagues of God, the tumors of God and death. And they say, oh, no, like, oh, oh, oh no, we, we've got to get the, the presence of God out of here. And it goes to Gath and the same thing happens. There's great distress and fear and panic and people begin to die as the Lord oppresses them with his righteous hand and they say oh no we got to get the presence of God out of here and then it goes to Ekron and, and, and it says that there was a fear of death there because the ark of God was there and people began to die and a, and a cry came from Ekron up to the heavens and they said oh no we have to get the presence of God away from us and the entire uh, time God is trying to tell them you can't escape the presence of God He says, that, he says it, it like, it's, it's interesting that after all that has transpired in these Philistine cities, that it never occurred to them that they should remove their idols and worship Israel's God. Their only recourse in their minds was, we got to get the presence of God away from us. Because the presence of God is what is afflicting us. And we're not comfortable with the presence of God here. We can't worship our idols with the presence of God here. God is too power. God. God takes away our idolatry when he's here. So we have to remove him. So, so, so they spend half of the chapter passing the Ark of the Covenant around so that they don't have to experience the wrath of the presence of God. So this is, this is, you know, if you, if you didn't think God had a sense of humor, this is, this is very much like a parody skit. It plays out like a parody skit that you might see on Key and Peele or The Chappelle Show or, or, or any one of these types of skits where you capture something and then they tag along for the ride so that you can march them around and experience defeat after defeat after defeat and pronounce how victorious they are only to send them back where they belong. And God here is showing, God, God here is saying, man, I, I, don't, I don't need no help when it comes to defeating my enemies. 
I don't need an army when it comes to defeating my enemies. And just because my army may get defeated doesn't mean that I've lost the battle. And so God goes from Ashdod to Gath to Ekron and he shows up time after time. He shows his might. He shows his glory. He shows his superiority. He shows his dominance. He shows his, how, like how against sin he is and idolatry he is. And, and he, gets, he gets to the end and it says, man, just, just send him back to Israel. Just send him back to Israel. Because the, the, tr the truth is something that they hadn't realized. But something that's absolutely true about God. Is that you don't want the presence of God without a mediator. It's like, 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 like they thought that they could just capture God and not have to address their wickedness and their sinfulness. And they thought that they could just put the presence of God before their God and that they could just live and dwell before the presence of God. And God is saying, he's got you. You don't want that. You, 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 you don't just want to be in my presence. You, you don't really know what that means. He said, like, like let, let's go back and ask when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they were experiencing just a, just a little bit of God's presence. And they said to Moses, they said, Moses, you got to go talk to God for us because we don't like, we don't like how he makes us feel when we're in his presence. So you got to go represent us to God. And, and, and then when, when they get into the land and, and, and God establishes the line of Aaron and the line of uh, Levi and, and, and the priests offer sacrifices on behalf of the people because God had, uh, God had sanctified and cleansed them in a particular way. And, and so uh, throughout Israel's history, throughout human history, we see the reality that that the people of God can't handle or not even just the people of God, but people, humanity can't handle the presence of God without a mediator. And the Philistines didn't have a mediator. They were sinful people in the presence of a holy God without a mediator. And the beautiful thing is for us that today. We have a mediator, a mediator who fights our battles, a mediator who petitions at the right hand of God for us, a mediator who stands in the gap and shields our, sinless, our sinfulness from the holiness of God, a mediator who goes to the cross and dies for that sinfulness so that we might be declared righteous, not because of anything that we've done, but because of faith that we place in him that he satisfied the wrath of God. We have a mediator who became the last necessary sacrifice for us to now stand in the presence of God and be accepted. And so, so people, people of God, you, 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 you've got to know this morning, you've got to know this morning that you have a mediator. You have one who stands before you. You have one that vouches for you. You have one that makes the case for you. You have one who though you may feel defeated in the moment, has won the necessary battle that brings you close to God. 
So even though you may experience defeat and heartbreak and, uh, and, and, and hardships, you have a mediator who stands victorious on the battlefield for you. Our Father and our God, we thank you, O oh Lord. We thank you, God, because we know that sometimes it's a struggle to believe. It's a struggle to apply faith in moments of weakness, in moments of loss, and in moments of desperation. And just as the Israelites fled in battle, as they experienced loss and decimation, God, there are moments in our lives where we flee the fight because we've experienced defeat. And we take that defeat, oh God, at times, and we attach it to you. And we say, because we've not experienced success, because we've experienced loss, that means God has failed us. God, would you help us to see that just because there are very real, genuine moments where we experience the brokenness of this world and the effects of sin in our lives, that that does not mean that you have failed. May we see your might and your power even in our moments of desperation. Might we see your love, your faithfulness, and your dependent me and your, and your dependability in moments where we are fighting against hopelessness. May we see you, O oh Lord, as the victor, the conqueror, the warrior who you have always been and forever will be. God, we pray in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you want to make a decision for Jesus Christ, if you know that you've never placed your full confidence and your trust in Jesus as Lord and as Savior, then we pray, our prayer for you is that you would see him as the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the one who came, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, so that you might experience oneness or relationship, closeness with God, acceptance with God. If that's you today, we want to talk to you further. Why don't you stay after? We have an announcement for you so we can know how to pray for you, how to get in touch with you, and how to uh, bring you into a closer relationship with Jesus, who is the Christ. Grace and peace. We love you. God bless. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.